So, we're trying something new. Bear with us, but from this week, you will have two episodes of the Manchester Weekly in your podcast feed. Today, all the news you need, a full briefing of what's going on in Greater Manchester... And then on Sunday, a new extended edition of the Manchester Weekly, where we take a deep dive into something happening in the city or meet some of the fascinating characters that make up Greater Manchester. We've got an absolutely brilliant guest to kick us off on Sunday. More about that later. For now, this is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello, I'm Daryl Morris and Yoshi Herman is the editor of The Mill, Manchester's quality newspaper delivered by email. Yoshi, hello my friend. Yo, how's it going? Really well. Uh, we're going to spend a good chunk of today's podcast talking about something that's happening in London, which is unusual but also so, sort of not really, is it, given, <laughs> given how London has a suck even on stories that are relevant to Manchester. Although you are in the south of England this week, so that's appropriate. I am. I'm in the south. I'm at my mum's. And yesterday I was in London for a conference, a media conference, learning from other professionals about um, newsletters and uh, about revenue strategies and all that sort of thing. So I have benefited from London's excellent infrastructure in the past 24 hours. <laughs> nice. Excellent. So I, and by the way, I will be in London by the time this podcast is published. So this will be we'll both be in London talking about a London piece of transport on a Manchester podcast. OK, we need to make sure that everything else is very Manchester. And in fact, actually, just a quick nod for speaking of conferences about newsletters, Yoshi. The mill hit quite a milestone, I think, since we last were together on the Manchester Weekly. So I doff my cap to you, sir. You've hit the 20,000th subscriber. Is that right? Yes, we've now got 20,000 millers on our email list, uh, 1,300 um, paying members. But yeah, 20,000 is quite a big, um, quite a big milestone. I think Danny tweeted that when she joined or like when she first started writing for us 18 months ago or something, that we had 2,000 people on our email list or something, something like that. Now it's 20,000. So that's quite cool. So it's all her work. Is that what she's saying? Yeah. She's responsible for the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations to all of you. That is very, very good news. Very hard earned. Let's crack on then, shall we? And we'll dive into um, a really big story out of Oldham. We returned to Oldham this week, but not for the turbulent politics, but for turbulence at the hospital there, Yoshi. Okay, there's been lots of conflicting reports about what exactly Oldham Hospital has and hasn't been able to offer in terms of care and why they have and haven't been able to do that. What do we know so far? Take us to the beginning on the story. The big story, I think, is that there have been these big delays at four hospitals in Greater Manchester. As you say, Royal Oldham is one of them. The others are the North Manchester General, Rochdale Infirmary and Fairfield and Bury. They're all run by one trust, the Northern Care Alliance um, NHS Trust. And they had a massive IT failure. People effectively were asked yesterday or in in the past few days only to attend A&E in the most urgent scenarios, which is kind of what they say all the time. But the problems began, we think, on 18th of of May. Um, And apparently these IT problems have been so bad that some processes have gone back to paper-based processes and record-keeping that were digital. Um, So a bit thin on details, but the, the trust say that they are fixing this, that they're going to be back to normal soon. 
they say that routine appointments are going on, that you should still turn up to the hospital if you're going to go to the hospital. But they've clearly got a big problem um, there with their IT systems and with A&E. And it kind of follows really serious IT system failures at the Greater Manchester Police, um, an aspect of which we exposed on the mail a couple of years ago relating to a overseas contractor who had made a bunch of sensitive data available online. He had all these problems with the computer system that tracks crimes and where crimes are recorded, which you know has been the subject of official reviews and apologies and resignations. So that's all happened at GMP. Now we've got this huge IT failure at a hospital trust in Greater Manchester. Kind of, I, I guess it's a bit of a reminder that these big organizations switching to digital systems, you know, they've become more efficient in some ways. The whole point of it is that you get better record keeping, better discoverability, better coordination. But it also comes with this big risk of instability that you don't so much get with paper record keeping. So it's another one of these big failures. And um, hopefully by the time we record this next week, um, they will have fixed it. So where are we now in terms of what the advice is to people? I suppose that advice remains the same. Does it only go if you if it's urgent? Which actually, Yoshi, as you say, is generally what they say anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think they're saying if you've got an appointment, you should still go and everything's going ahead as normal. But I think they're saying it's putting a massive pressure on us. And therefore, if there's any kind of discretionary bit of the, of the system, it's, it's people turning up to A&E who don't actually need A&E help. And they're, they're saying, you know, only come in if it's really urgent. Okay, Uh, we'll keep an eye on that story for sure and keep an eye on assessing, I suppose, the impact of it. Let's head south then, Yoshi, shall we? Because you can't fail to see, regardless of where you live in the country, you have no doubt been bombarded with the news that the new Elizabeth line has opened, Crossrail in London. It is a significant story. You know, one of the things that really, before we get to the sort of Manchester angle to this story, because there is one, I did see the Prime Minister tweeting the other day, Yoshi, saying that, you know, so celebrating the opening of the new Elizabeth line and Crossrail and suggesting that, you know, so much as it is a piece of London transport infrastructure, it will have an impact on the rest of the economy. The North directly, not even indirectly because of conversations or pressure to invest up here or whatever, but directly will benefit. I suppose that's true, isn't it? Is that true? I suppose that's true, isn't it, in a roundabout way? Yeah, it feels like it's a step forward for the country to have better transport infrastructure. So any bit of the country that gets a you know, a new £19 billion improvement to its transport system um, is good for the country, I suppose. The problem is is that London has had this very high level of sustained investment in its infrastructure for decades now, and other areas in the country haven't. So, you know, it's good for the country that London is, you know, can attract more investment, that it's going to be a lot easier for someone to arrive in London and get very quickly to the place they needed to go. That's probably a benefit for the country overall. But I think Sadiq Khan, the, the London mayor, also suggested this was a kind of step forward for the country as well as for London. And I think it's slightly grating, isn't it, if you live up north and you've seen how the Northern Powerhouse Rail Project, which was a really grand plan to link up the north much better, you know, from Liverpool to Manchester to Leeds to Hull um, and places in between, that has been significantly downgraded by the government in its integrated rail plan. And Gareth Dennis, who's a, a rail expert who's quite big on Twitter, he told the MEN this week, there's not a single argument for Crossrail that isn't applicable to Birmingham, Manchester and Leeds. And, you know, if you read um, 
books about the, this kind of thing, regional development. Mike Emmerich had a great book about the, the re-emergence of cities in this country. He just points out that London has not become an economic powerhouse overnight. It benefited from decades worth of very sustained investment, building new undergrounds, linking it up much better, and making it a city where you genuinely don't need to have a car. Like I lived in London for, I think, four years, and I never needed to have a car when I was there. Same in New York. When I lived in New York, I didn't need to have a car. And unfortunately, I live in Manchester now and I feel that I do need a car because there are quite a few places in Greater Manchester where it's a real pain in the ass to get there on public transport and you just can't rely on it for your job. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a huge issue. I thought that was a really interesting point made in the MEN by the transport correspondent Charlotte Cox. I'm going to read it to you because it, I think it makes an interesting point about why there has been a lack of kind of integrated thinking about northern transport investment. She writes, arguably one obstacle to success for railways in the north has been the brackets, soon to be historic brackets, geographical organisation of network rail, divided into the northwest and central region on one side and London and the northeast on the other. This, say critics, has naturally moved a focus away from the vital east-west links and capacity that are so sorely needed, especially in the north of the country. I thought that was an interesting sort of insight about like how just like the organisational structure uh, might have held things back. But we know that the biggest thing that's held things back is that na central government, Whitehall, have not in the past couple of decades seen the north as, as much of a priority, as much of a return on its investment as, as London in the south. And I think it's great for London to have this new rail investment, but it really shows up the lack of investment there's been. Um, you know, you see tweets every day about people are oh, 17 out of the 25 trains between Manchester and Leeds today have been cancelled, that kind of thing. It's an absolute nightmare up here. You, if you get lucky, transport's okay, it's a bit slow. If you get unlucky, which you often do, it's a complete nightmare. So, you know, it's it, it should, I hope, um, you know, strengthen calls for proper investment in the north and a for the government to have another look at whether they really want to downgrade um, northern powerhouse rail to the extent that they are now proposing to do. Elsewhere this week, Yoshi, let's talk about something that you were scrapping on Twitter about because I, I saw you having an argument with was it or, or, or a, a heated back and forth, shall we say, with the councillor in Manchester? Was it Pat Carney? I think. What was this about? <laughs> Yeah, well, something something annoyed me over the weekend. Like, the MEN did a, a story about this wooden platform that's covering Piccadilly Gardens. And I'm actually glad they did. It was based on one local person who was angry about the platform and said it's actually managed to make Piccadilly Gardens worse. <laughs> but just something, something struck me about it, which is this bit of the story. It says, the wooden platform was installed as part of the city's annual Christmas markets last winter. Since then, it has mainly remained closed. And it just occurred to me, like, I walk past it every day, but yeah, it has remained closed. There's a big wooden platform. It's got this kind of wooden fencing all around it. It's it's used for events like Christmas markets. I think it was used for St. Patrick's Day. I think it was used for a couple of other events. Used for a couple of commercial things, maybe. I think I've seen, I think I've seen a couple of things in there. But most of the time it's closed and it's a massive part of the gardens. Like, it's most of the central bit of the gardens. And so when I saw that story, I kind of, tweeted Pat Carney, who's the, the Manchester City Council's lead for the city centre. I just said, like, you know, this structure, which cuts off public access to a massive chunk of the gardens, you know, is it going to be there for the entire summer, for the entire autumn? Because in the story, the MEN story, it said used later in the year for the Christmas markets again, right? And then Pat Carney said it will be used for events throughout the summer. 
And then he said, I will look at how we can use the space more often for general use. It's a balance all the time for use. It's what he, he tweeted back. And it just made me think of Danny's piece last year, The Teenage Playground of Piccadilly Gardens, where she met all these young people who really like love Piccadilly Gardens. It's kind of chaotic. It's kind of a bit lawless there, which, you know, can, can have some major implications for other people. But there are lots of teenagers and young people and um, other people who are not young who go to Piccadilly Gardens when it's hot, and particularly when it's hot, they have a good time, they dance around, they drink, you know, and I know a lot of people complain about Piccadilly Gardens, but I walk past it every day and like, I can see the arguments against, I can see that some people feel unsafe, particularly perhaps some women, but you know, if this is a big public space and I think it being taken away just so it can be used for one-off events, but basically closing a major public space in a city, I feel like that deserves a bit more debate. I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, Daryl, and you've seen some sort of announcement or debate about this, but I did ask, you know, how many days does this leave, this area, close, and how many days will it leave it open for the remainder of the year? And, you know, Pat Carney hasn't replied to that yet, but I'm hoping he'll go away and get us an answer to that because I just I find it a little bit scandalous to be honest I'm sure you do <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell but like I don't know it's like it's a public space you know yeah. if, they, if, if they're going to close close it off for large portions of the year I'm sure it's better for their revenue I'm sure it's something that the police would endorse because the police obviously have plenty of trouble policing Piccadilly Gardens but um, it feels like it's something that where there should be a public debate, some democratic kind of accountability, uh, you know. And look, apologies in advance if I've missed a council meeting where this was like properly discussed and, and views were heard and that kind of thing. But I haven't seen any of that. And I do think it's a bit bit of a head scratcher. And I'd like, yeah, I'd like them to answer. So if Pat, if you're listening, can you please expedite your investigation into this? <laughs> yeah. No, and I agree with you, actually. I haven't seen anything that justifies it. And I haven't seen any public debate about a public space it's a public space it's a public yeah. space let's campaign all... let's start a campaign i think it's probably a completely commercial thing it's like we can make more money if various event operators you know take over this space these event operators won't take over the space unless it's got this big wooden platform and all these bars on it and big screens yada 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 but actually i don't know that doesn't wash with me like i i think i think i should be able to sit on piccadilly gardens i think all those teenagers who danny wrote about last year should be able to sit there and yeah, there are some grass spaces on both sides now where you can still sit, but I don't think that's good enough. No, yeah, no, it's, a, it's a, a fair point for sure. Well made. All right, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as well, by the way, and uh, we'll bring you any more that we get on what's happening there at Piccadilly Gardens. Yoshi spends, I would say, 60, 70% of his time as the editor of The Mill, uh, keeping a close eye on Piccadilly Gardens and <laughs> what's going on. It's true, it's true. Um, can we talk about Strange Ways as well, which is a treasure chest, Yoshi, of stories, isn't it? And you sent Jack off to Strange Ways to meet a special character there. Why? Who? Well, Jack's been trying to write about prisons for a while, actually, because we kind of identified it as one of those topics where we're interested in Greater Manchester prisons and how they work. We don't feel like there's that much in-depth reporting on them. So Jack's been kind of trying lots of different angles, and one of them was to try and speak to the chaplain at Strange Ways. And it's been, he's been trying for months, actually. I feel like every week Jack's like, I've, I've spoken to the chaplain again. He might be able to speak to me, or he might not, or he's getting permissions. Or, there's been a whole like big process of, of getting permissions. But eventually he got this really interv interesting interview with the chaplain of Strange Ways Prison, and um, he has sent us a little report um, about that experience. On Monday, I met with James Gallagher, who's the managing chaplain of HMP Manchester. Um, I've been trying to arrange an interview with James via the Ministry of Justice for some months now, just because I'm fascinated with the idea of a prison chaplain. 
um, the idea of any religious leader or figure in any secularized institution is quite interesting to me just to see how it's changed over the years and with the case of the prison chaplain it's doubly interesting because he in his role is one of the only people in the prison who has access to every part of the prison um and we spoke a lot about how the role has changed over the years since it was first made a mandatory role in a prison in i think it was 1773 and you know nowadays with that kind of religious edge worn away. Um, James describes the job as a kind of humanizing force in the prison. So he said that his job is to see the prisoners as they are rather than how society has deemed them. And I don't think that's to say that the penal system's just a, uh, you know, a big grinding part where people are kind of forgotten about. I think his humanizing force is to remind the prisoners that they're people and that they're likely as are most people who go to prison to one day get out of prison and to keep their eyes kind of trained on the future and to stay positive and to not allow their current state of what I suppose is punishment to drown them and feel like there's nothing beyond it for them. So it was a really interesting conversation and he was a really interesting person and I'm glad that we were able to kind of get his perspective on things because it's a rare person to hear from I think. Now, coming this weekend, another episode of the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. We're giving you more bang for your buck and more of The Mill's brilliant, insightful reporting, more stories and fascinating people from around Greater Manchester every Sunday on your podcast feed. So as we were saying earlier, on a Thursday, you will get briefed with all the news you need to know. And then on Sunday, we'll meet some of the fascinating characters that make up our fine city. This weekend, we're going to hear from uh, David Collins, who you might know as the northern editor of the Sunday Times. And Yoshi, he's written a book that is out this week that takes a dive into a fascinating potential true crime story that has played out in Greater Manchester. Yeah, I've known David for a couple of years now because he was probably one of the first big journalists who took a lot of interest in the mill and tweeted about it and he was kind of been a champion of the mill from the beginning he's been a a paying subscriber from the beginning so when he got this book out which is a really fascinating true crime book uh, we were talking about how he could do something on the mill so he's he's joining us um, for that podcast on sunday to talk about his book about this this idea that there could be a um a serial killer in cheshire and manchester who hasn't been caught Okay, someday that will be in your podcast feed. The best way to make sure that you definitely hear what is an absolutely fascinating, compelling story from David is to hit subscribe. Do that right now. Just hit subscribe on the podcast. You will get that episode in your podcast feed first on Sunday and you'll make sure that you don't miss it. In the meantime, Yoshi, take us into the Mill Newsroom, my friend, and let's have a look ahead. Uh, What are you working on? Well, we're still rumbling on with this story about homelessness in Manchester. We've been doing it for months now, actually. We've had got ahead, like, students, uh, data science students helping with it. We've got Alex, who's an um, intern who's coming at the moment, a paid intern from um, MMU. She's helping with it. I recently spoke to someone with Alex, who's, like, a new source for that story, who's been really helpful in, in moving it forward. Um, we've put in another um, freedom of information request to the council about it. We've put in a whole phalanx of new questions. So that one's kind of rolling along, and I really hope that sees the light of day soon. Um, We've also got a really interesting piece coming up about the IRA bombing uh, by Mike Unger, a former editor of the MEN, 
uh, who's written for us once before about Strange Ways Prison, actually, um, legendary editor of the MEN. He has written a, a brilliant long read for the anniversary of the bombing, which is in June. So a couple of, couple of um, really chunky bits of journalism coming up. Lovely. Excellent. And do we have a nod for the week ahead, Yoshi? What should people be doing in and around Greater Manchester? They should be heading to Rochdale, which I always say to people, I can't believe no one goes to Rochdale, because it's, it's honestly, the, the, the centre of Rochdale, the town centre, is one of the most beautiful bits of Greater Manchester. It's got this beautiful esplanade, all these old buildings. It's got amazing, amazing town hall. Like, you know, most, most towns in, in Greater Manchester don't have anything that grand. It's like, it's like Manchester town hall, maybe not quite as tall, but really stunning. It looks like a cathedral. It's kind of forbidding like on the when once you dive into that valley in the in the center of Rochdale so I always recommend people go to Rochdale and Friday i.e the day after this podcast first comes out so I think a lot of people listening to it will still be able to go there's a scaffold tour which takes place every Friday you get to see the carvings in the great hall and it's a behind the scenes look at the restoration they're doing at Rochdale Town Hall so I haven't been to one of these things but I need to because I'm a massive Rochdale Town Hall fanboy Lovely, excellent. Uh, my nod for the weekend ahead, or the week ahead, is the Manchester Jazz Festival, which concludes this weekend. Uh, so this is it. This is your last chance to get some jazz in the city centre. There's loads and loads going on. I would recommend Zoe Rahman, uh, who is brilliant. She's a pianist and a composer. Uh, lots of kind of like modern jazz feel to it. She won the Ivan Novello Award as well, and a Mobile Award, actually. So she's been accredited by the very best in the industry as being absolutely brilliant. And also, if you're that's on um, Friday afternoon, I think. And if you fancy something... Uh, a little bit more intense, a bit more hardcore. Craig Charles Funk and Soul Club Band on the Wall is a Manchester Jazz Festival themed club night this weekend on Saturday night in the city. But there's loads and loads. Whatever you taste, whatever you're into, Manchester Jazz Festival. Just go to manchesterjazz.com and you can have a look at their programme in full and make sure that you hit some up before it finishes at the end of the weekend. Okay, well, we're back on your uh, in your podcast feed on Sunday with David Collins, Northern editor of the Sunday Times on his fascinating new book, The Hunt for the Silver Killer. Uh, that'll be direct into your podcast feed on Sunday if you just hit subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to The Mill as well. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you go for news, events and in-depth stories into this place we call home. For now, Yoshi, thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs>